from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang. Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I'm still O for 10 on I'm 10 and 0 on this one. Uh, I've yet to say 2022 this year. So that's really excited. I guess I'm really into 2023. Thank you all for joining us. It's officially Patch Tuesday. And while not all of the patches have been disclosed yet, so we, we typically do a recap uh, tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll really, the first about five or six minutes will be all about Patch Tuesday. We do have some news today. A lot of different things going on for a lot of practitioners and a lot of uh, InfoSec and cybersecurity companies. So, you know, we're going to get this show going here in just a moment. Good morning to everyone tuning in. We're live LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, um, on your favorite podcast listening platform. Please subscribe, follow, uh, follow me on LinkedIn. You can also follow me on Twitter, our YouTube channel. Um, really cool stuff dropping at the end of this month, including brand new episodes of CISO Talk, a brand new season. Um, that's a separate podcast on the podcast listening platforms, by the way. So you got to go look up CISO Talk. You'll see that there. Brand new episodes dropping there as well. So, you know, this is going to be epic. It's going to be a great year. Let's get into that. Before we do that, though, my uh, double espresso, coffee cup cheers. And, uh, you know, I wish you guys could see like how hot this is because it's steaming. Yesterday, I talked about this. Today, it's official. Uh, Windows 7 extended security updates and Windows 8.1 have reached their end of support dates. They will no longer be supported. We'll get to why it's critical that you upgrade these here in just a moment. Just want to kick off the show. It's done with. If you're using Windows 7 or 8.1, this t- today's Patch Tuesday will be the last time Microsoft addresses these versions of the US, everything beyond. So you want to upgrade to Windows 10 essentially sooner rather than later. Auth0 fixes an RCE flaw in their JSON web token library that's used by about 22,000 projects. The fixed remote code execution vulnerability in the very popular JSON web token open source library used by about 22,000 projects and downloaded over 36 million times per month on NPM. The library is used in open source projects created by Microsoft, Twilio, Salesforce, Intuit, Box, IBM, DocuSign, Slack, SAP, and many more. The vulnerability is tracked as CVE uh, 2022-23529er. It impacts the JSON web token versions 9.0.0 released on December 21st, right before the Christmas holiday. The JSON web token project is an open source library used to create, sign, and verify JSON web tokens. The JWT is an open standard that defines a compact and self-contained way for securely transmitting information between parties as a JSON object. The information can be verified and trusted because it is digitally signed according to the jwt.io site the project is developed and maintained by octas auth zero has 9 million weekly downloads on the npm uh, package repository and over 22,000 projects on the library reflecting its massive adoption successful exploitation could enable attackers to bypass authentication mechanisms access confidential information steal or modify data however unit 42 over at palo alto warns that threat actors would first need to compromise the secret management process between an app and a JSON web token server, making it harder to exploit and lowering the severity rating to 7.6. The CVE vulnerability, which was discovered by Palo Alto on July 13th, was reported to Otho immediately. 
The researchers found that the threat actors could achieve remote code execution on servers using the JSON web token after they verified a maliciously crafted JWS token. The flaw that allows this is, is, is in the JSON web tokens verify method, which is used to verify the JWT return the decoded information. It's accepted parameters essentially. Um, and due to the lack of check on the secret or public key parameter to determine if the string, if it's a string or a buffer, attackers can spend a specially crafted object, perform arbitrary file write on the target machine. They can use the same flaw, but a slightly different payload on the request. And it'd be practically uh, possible to achieve remote code execution. This has now been patched, by the way, and you want to make sure your library has been upgraded as well. PyPy users are targeted with a power rat malware. I've said it yesterday. I feel like I'm not looking for this. It just keeps showing up. I'm not picking on PyPy, I swear to God. Um, but the Python package index is seems to be the number one target. And this goes to cyber awareness. Now, I'm going to say this. Not with reservation, but I'm going to say this with caution. If you run one sort of awareness program around phishing, social engineering, business email compromise, those are all great. If you're not practicing awareness in cyber hygiene and cyber culture in DevOps and software engineering, you're in for a really, really rough time. These are the people who are the number one target right now for threat actors it's your accountant yes but the more sophisticated the more crippling the more damaging the job loss type of threat actors will go after you and and they'll target your cto and that's why i think a ciso and a cto are really best friends in the aspect of we have to be able to build a secure by design type of, of, of method. And we have to have buy-in from every single one of our developers, engineers, architects in this campaign. So this specific uh, malware was first detected on December 22nd uh, when a malicious package named Pyro login was identified as Python malware designated to fetch code from a remote server and execute it silently. Between December 28th and 31, uh, Phylum security researchers observed five additional packages containing code similar to the Pyro login being published to PyPy, easy timestamp, Discorder, uh, Discord-dev, style.py, and Python styles. The infection chain, which involves execution of various scripts and abuse of legitimate operating system functions, begins with a setup.py uh, file, meaning that the malware is automatically deployed if the malicious packages are installed using PIP. Um, the analysis of the execution process revealed the use of obfuscation and attempts to prevent static analysis to prevent raising victims' suspicion. A message claiming dependencies are being installed is displayed while the malicious code is executing in the background. Once up and running on the victim's machine, the malware allows the attacker to steal sensitive information like browser cookies, passwords, crypto wallets, Discord tokens, and Telegram data. The harvested information is exfiltrated in a zip archive. The malware also attempts to download and install on the victim's computer Cloudflare, a Cloudflare command line tunnel client that allows the attackers to access the Flask app on the victim system without modifying the firewall. We talked about that yesterday. So this continues, continues to be a number one threat vector and best practices around that a video on that coming soon. So let's get into the rack space incident. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, but there's a whole lot more information now. So, and, and really this goes into 
mitigation over patching. So in Rackspace hosted exchange service, they went with mitigation over patching because they were worried about availability. Now, Karen O'Reilly Smith, the CISO over at Rackspace, is a very talented and respected CISO. This is someone who understands what practicing security is all about. But this goes to the challenges that practitioners and CISOs and vulnerability management teams have. You want to apply a patch. You want to get something fixed. The problem is that you're going to have to take something offline. And that's unacceptable to the business. And I think this goes into the greater challenge that we have, which is the business. And, and we have to communicate this, by the way, as, as, as practitioners. How do we explain to the business the need to take something offline for a time in order to patch it up and why mitigation can't be the only thing um, that we look for. And again, they followed Rackspace here, followed Microsoft's uh, mitigation to the T according to their statement. They decided uh, the, the, the decision to hold off on patching, by the way, on stuff like this is, is really normal. In fact, we know that with Log4J and Proxy Not Shell and a lot of these people have decided to go through mitigation and not patching because they need the availability. And again, this goes to sitting down with your CTO and with your chief financial officer and, and really weighing these risks. Could we set up specific environments where we know patching is going to be required and have a blue and green environment? So we can flip one on, you know, patch the other one, flip that on, turn it on, push it out, patch the other version, put that one back out, turn the other one back off, and then really decrease CPU usage and kind of do that through you know, mitigating costs, especially on a cloud uh, type of environment where, where you're able to do that or even within your own data center. There's so many different ways to do this. Um, and that's why I wasn't quick to um, to judge Rackspace in, in this scenario because until we see the, these this type of data, only then can we properly assess whether or not the the attack itself was something um that 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 is worthy of of discussion and here the challenge is the reason they went through this is because it was a business decision of availability only to have an experience where they were unavailable so you know th th this is a great use case uh, that i would take to the board to my peers and saying look we can do mitigation but here's what happened at Rackspace. we're just going to set up time on saturday night between 2 a.m and 6 a.m to take all of these systems offline, we're going to communicate this out, and 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 that's how we're going to patch the systems. Microsoft Kubernetes clusters have been hacked in a malware campaign via a Postgres SQL. The Kinsing malware is now actively breaching Kubernetes clusters by leveraging known weaknesses in container images and misconfigured exposed Postgres SQL containers. While these tactics are new, Microsoft Defender for Cloud Team reports they've seen an uptick lately indicating that the threat actors are actively looking for a specific entry point. Kinsing is a Linux-based malware with a history of targeting containerized environments for crypto mining, using the breach server's hardware resources to generate revenue for threat actors. The threat actors behind this are known for exploiting known vulnerabilities like lock for shell or the uh, Altesian Confluence RCE to breach targets and establish persistence. Microsoft says that they saw an uptick in two methods used by these operators to gain initial access, exploiting a vulnerability or misconfigured Postgres SQL database. When exploiting image vulnerabilities, the threat actors hunt for remote code execution flaws that enable them to push their payload. The um, 
Microsoft Defender for Cloud Telemetry indicates that the threat actors are attempting to exploit vulnerabilities in the following apps for initial access, PHP Unit, LifeRay, Oracle WebLogic, and WordPress. In WebLogic cases, the hackers scan for CVE 2022-14882-14750-14883. All are RCEs impacting Oracle. They've also identified other attacks and a wide range of IP addresses looking for open ports matching the WebLogic default port of 7001. Mitigating this problem is as simple as using the latest available version of the images you wish to deploy and only sourcing these images from official repositories and trustworthy locations. That's a good piece there. Finally, over the weekend, Serbia's government was slammed with a DDoS attack that they staved off, attempting at crippling the Serbian infrastructure. Those who don't know Serbia and Kosovo could potentially be on the verge of war again uh, after 20 almost 24, 25 years since the latest war in the Balkan region. Serbia is also very much aligned with its Russian counterparts. They share, they, they follow the same church, the, the Orthodox church. Um, Russia supported Serbia in their war against uh, Kosovo uh, and, and Yugoslavia and the split there in the Balkan region. Previously, this DDoS attack is not attributed to anyone at this time, but they are saying that the increased tensions uh, between the Kosovars and the Serbians here uh, are starting to to weigh true. And this is another front, by the way, between what would be considered kind of West-aligned regimes and then former USSR um, uh, regimes, being Kosovo is, is is an EU product and Serbia is aligned with the Russians. So um, another front there between the Russia-Ukraine war that's that's expanding. And, and we saw Iran attack Albania. Um, and now we're seeing uh, potentially uh, people attacking Serbia uh, the history between those two countries is not is not a good one. Anyways, um, that's it for our show this morning. Yes, uh, congratulations to the Georgia Dogs on a historic win yesterday. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Gary. Good morning, Chris, Jonathan, Scott, Matthew, Bill, Jeff. Good morning to all of y'all. Thank y'all for being here. That's it for our show. We did go a bit over here. Apologize about that. We'll be back tomorrow to talk Patch Tuesday. Till then, have a great rest of your day. Stay aware and stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.